Welcome to the Legal Lowdown Podcast by Barton Gilman. I'm your host, Diana Baudet. Joining me today is New York education attorney Paul O'Neill to discuss several new education cases that have been passing through the Supreme Court. Welcome, Paul. Hi, Diana. Thank you for doing this. Yes, thank you for joining me. Um, can you give us some background on the Supreme Court cases and how they will likely impact schools? Sure. As you say, the Supreme Court has come out with a number of important decisions in the last couple of months, uh, and several of them will impact education in a variety of ways. Um, so I want to talk about two of them, but I think I'm only going to have enough time on this podcast to cover one. Okay. Um, so that one will be Bostock v. Clayton County, which addresses gender identity. And in another podcast, I'll discuss Our Lady of Guadalupe School versus Morrissey Baru, which is a precedent-setting case about religion in private schools. Okay. Both sound very interesting. Um, so we'll start with the Bustock case. What were the circumstances around that case? For a perfectly legitimate reading of it, but it's uh, called Bostock versus Clayton County, and it's a Georgia case. And the Supreme Court handed down its ruling on Bostock in June, so very, very recent. So let's go. I'll I'll give you a sense of the facts. Gerald Bostock, a gay man, began working for Clayton County in Georgia as a child welfare services coordinator in 2003. Okay. Uh, During his tenure uh, career with Clayton County, he received positive performance evaluations and numerous accolades on the job. Mm -hmm. In 2013, he began participating in a gay recreational softball league. And shortly thereafter, he received criticism for his participation in the league and for his sexual orientation and identity generally. So that resulted in him being fired for quote-unquote conduct unbecoming its employees. He then filed a complaint with the Equal Opportunity Commission and then a lawsuit for discrimination under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Okay. Very interesting. What was the question before the court? The question was, does Title VII of the Civil Rights Act which prohibits employment discrimination because of sex and other things, but but because of sex is part of it. Um, does does that encompass discrimination based on an individual's sexual orientation? And it's an important question because those words aren't actually in Title VII. So the question is, can we read Title VII to encompass challenges about sexual orientation? Okay. And what was the ruling? The court found that an employer who fires an individual employee merely because of being gay or transgender violates Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. The majority opinion was from Justice Neil Gorsuch, um, and he was writing for an, a majority of six justices. There were three justices who uh, who dissented. Okay. Can you dig a little deeper in there? Yeah, so Title VII prohibits employers from discriminating against any individual because of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. That's all from the statute. Uh, Looking to the ordinary public meaning for each word and phrase comprising that provision, um, the court interpreted it to mean that an employer violates Title VII when it intentionally fires an individual employee based at least in part on sex. Discrimination on the basis of homosexuality or transgender status requires an employer to intentionally treat employees differently because of their sex, the very practice that Title VII prohibits in all of its manifestations. 
Okay. Now, I don't know if, if you think we can do this, but I have a couple of quotes from the actual opinion that I think make it pretty clear what the court was trying to say. So can I, can I toss to it? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So Justice Gorsuch says, consider, for example, an employer with two employees, both of whom are attracted to men. The two individuals are, to the employer's mind, material identical in all respects, except that one is a man and the other is a woman. If the employer fires the male employee for no reason other than the fact that he is attracted to men, then the employer discriminates against him for traits or actions that it tolerates in his female colleague. And that, now it's me, not, not Gorsuch, that is, is discrimination based on sex. So, so that's specific to gay men. There was another provision specific to transgender people. And he says, or take an employer who fires a transgender person who was identified as a male at birth, but who now identifies as female. If the employer retains an otherwise identical employee who was identified as female at birth, the employer intentionally penalizes a person identified as male at birth for traits or actions that it tolerates an employee identified as a female at birth. Again, the individual's employee's sex plays an unmistakable and impermissible role in the discharge decision. Okay. Very interesting. So not everybody agreed with that. Not everybody on the court agreed with that determination, and, and several of the justices wrote dissents, and one of them was Justice Kavanaugh, who noted that Title VII does not explicitly prohibit discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation or, by extension, transgender status. Okay. What, can you explain that further? Yeah. Well, as I mentioned before, Title VII does not explicitly say that. And so the court is, I'm not saying going out on a limb here, but it's going farther than it's gone before in interpreting this law. And as you'll see from what we're about to talk about, there are a lot of folks who have differing opinions about how it should be interpreted. And the court has taken a, a strong position here. A, a couple of, of important things to note about the decision. This was a liberal ruling from what is perceived to be a conservative court. The opinion was written by Justice Gorsuch, who was one of the justices appointed by President Trump. President Trump's administration sees these issues very differently than this opinion would reflect. Right? So there's an interesting factor there as to who made this ruling. The ruling will be problematic for the Trump approach to gender identity, because their approach to gender identity has been uniformly focused on biological determination of sex at birth and sexual orientation at birth. The administration has premised a range of regulations, including education regulations and rulings on that, on that concept, that it's biologically determined birth and that's what we're going to go with. That position, that it was biologically determined in birth and that people are not allowed to self-determine uh, gender orientation issues, is a reversal of the Obama administration's much more permissive, if you will, approach as to who defines themselves in one way or another way. And gay and transgender rights took a very different approach in the Obama administration. Obama and his folks issued guidance supporting an individual's right towards self-determination. Okay. Um, and so how does this ruling apply to schools? So, so that's a good question. So the, the first element of it is that schools are employers. This is an employment case. He was fired because of his factors. Um, as, as employers, as schools being employers, it constrains them from firing or taking adverse action 
against staff members based on sexual orientation or transgender status. It applies because Title VII applies to all kinds of schools. This applies to all kinds of schools, public and private. But the Bostock ruling will also likely be applied um, to other authorities that address sexual identity and transgender rights. And when we talk about schools, one important element of that is Title IX. Title IX forbids discrimination on the basis of sex where an entity is a federal fund recipient. So Title IX is very relevant for schools in, in all that they do. In his dissent, Justice Alito said, Kavanaugh wrote one dissent, Alito wrote another, that he explicitly thinks that the Bostock ruling is going to be applied in Title IX circumstances and that it shouldn't be because he disagrees with this. But the Bostock ruling is likely to be applied there. The Trump White House is in a difficult spot because of this ruling, and it gets into Title IX. So the Trump White House has pursued a narrow definition, as I mentioned before, of sex as biologically determined at birth. And it has tailored the civil rights work that it has done to interpretations that fit that standard. Things like access to school bathrooms and other resources. They have indicated that has to be determined by biology at birth, not by gender identity. And in fact, in May of this year, they put out a set of Title IX regulations. After a lot of process, they, did, they went through a, a long process of getting public input, and they tried to do it in a way that would be authoritative, and they made a determination in those Title IX regulations that's consistent with this biologically determined at birth. And I think it's likely that in the wake of the Bostock opinion that those brand new regulations are going to be fined invalid by courts. There's a circle being built here, and we're almost circling it back to a case that was going through the court system a couple of years ago that got at these same issues under Title IX, and it looks like it's now likely to be what we're going to look for to establish this link between Title IX and the Title VII opinion that just came out. And that case is called the Grimm case, Grimm versus uh, Gloucester County School Board in Virginia. Okay. Can you tell us more about that case? Yeah. So remember, that's a case that's been going up and down in the court system for a few years. There, a man named Gavin Grimm, a student at a public high school in Virginia, was not allowed to use a boy's bathroom, although he identified as a boy. Mm-hmm. He sued in 2015, um, and it went up the food chain from the Eastern District trial court to the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, and they ruled in his favor because at the time, the Obama administration's guidance and rules were in place that said that his self-determination was what mattered, not whatever might have been the biological evidence of birth. The U.S. Supreme Court agreed to hear the case. Then they do that, they do something called granting certiorari, and they were about to hear it when the Trump administration took over. When the Trump administration took over, they quickly rescinded the guidance that the Obama administration had put out that said what would have been necessary for Gavin Grimm to win this. And so the court vacated its ruling and said, oh, wait a minute, hold on. The rules are different now. And they sent the case back down. They remanded the case for further action consistent with the new Trump guidance that pulled back from supporting that sort of self-determination. So it went back. So so in the court structure here, you know, you go from, from trial courts up to appeals courts and then higher levels of appeals courts. Now we've sent it back down to the trial court. And in May 2018, 
the Eastern District of Virginia again, made a ruling, despite the fact that the Trump administration was taking a different approach, they made a ruling that transgender status constituted a claim of sexual discrimination and that the bathroom policy had subjected him to sex stereotyping in violation of the law. So, so here we are again. Now we go back up the food chain. So despite the Trump guidance, that court said that Title IX protects transgender status. And since then, the court has been moving back up. So it's now before the Fourth Circuit again. And the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals is going to have to look to the Bostock case to make a decision about how to decide the Grimm case. And the Grimm case isn't a Title VII employment case. It's a Title IX case about discrimination in that context. Okay. So will Grimm be the case that applies to Bostock ruling? Probably. I think so. So now Grimm is likely to be the case that brings that circle all the way around, as I discussed, uh, and it changes how transgender rights play out in schools. Um, So the Fourth Circuit is hearing it. And we have to remember that this is happening despite a conservative majority on the court, including several Trump nominees, one of whom wrote the Bostock opinion, and essentially returns gay and transgender rights to the posture that they had during the Obama administration, despite almost brand new federal regulations from the Trump administration taking the opposite approach. I mean, it's really a lot to get your head around that's all been happening in a really short frame of time. Yeah. We now have four Title IX podcasts um, just discussing the ping-ponging back and forth of the Obama administration's versus the Trump administration's rules. Um, And for anybody listening, today's August 6th. The new rules go into effect on August 14th. So we actually have a new podcast out about those rules and that timing, and there are four court cases pending on those new rules that are not likely to have any kind of decision made on them before that August 14th deadline. Right. Well, what you mean is that these new rules established by the Trump administration will become effective. What I'm telling you is everybody needs to watch the newspapers to see what happens when the Grimm case makes a decision and effectively renders some aspect of those uh, regulations at least problematic and perhaps, you know, null and void. So what should we be looking for based on this new precedent? What should schools be looking for exactly? Uh, We should should look for lower court opinions that apply the Bostock ruling to many situations. Different sets of facts are presented by uh, varying court cases, and this set of facts is quite clear. But everybody has to apply the rulings as best they can to the different sets of facts. And so while you're not likely to see this come before the Supreme Court again exactly in the same way, you will certainly start to see lower courts, trial courts, appellate courts applying these rules, and you should look for that as we start to expand our understanding of how this plays out. We also look for the impact on employment decisions, as we said before. Schools employ lots of people. They are now constrained to look at these issues in accordance with Bostock. We should also look at the impact on uh, rules about bathrooms, use of bathrooms and locker rooms and gyms and other gender-specific places. This particular element, as you see with the Grimm case, has just gone back and forth and back and forth. Well, now we have a rule, right? We should also look for the impact on sports teams. There was some mention made in one of the dissents here that, well, now this is this messes with the ability for women to take all of the rights that they have been interpreted to have under Title IX with regard to sports teams. That may or may not be the case, 
but it certainly opens up a question about how you would interpret rules regarding to gender-specific sports teams. And finally, if if President Trump wins re-election, I think that we should be looking for efforts by his administration to limit the applicability of the Bostock ruling. The Bostock ruling runs counter to his administration's interpretation of these issues. And so I doubt that they will just sort of take this lying down and will just say, all right, well, that's the rule. I think they will try and find ways to interpret it so that it doesn't apply everywhere that it might otherwise apply. And I think we should be on the lookout for, for all of these things over the coming months. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I guess exciting times to come. A lot of upheaval to come anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me today, Paul, and I look forward to talking with you more um, about the second case that you had mentioned, the Our Lady of Guadalupe School versus Morrissey Bureau. So until next time, have a great day. Thank you very much. For more information on education and the law and for more podcasts and client advisories by Paul O'Neill, please visit our website at www.bglaw.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn by searching for Barton Gilman. Thank you for listening. The content provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal advice or to form an attorney-client relationship. If you would like to seek legal advice from a Barton Gilman attorney, please visit us at www.bglaw.com or call 888-273-9903 for more information. Barton Gilman serves clients throughout the Northeast with offices in Boston, Providence, and New York, offering legal services in a wide variety of matters, including medical and other professional liability defense, premises liability and business litigation, education law, employment, family law, insurance coverage, trust and estates, criminal defense, corporate formation, and intellectual property. The firm and its attorneys have received numerous awards and accolades including Best Lawyers, Best Law Firms, Best Places to Work Rhode Island, Outstanding Philanthropic Business, the Common Good Award, and Super Lawyers. For more information about Barton Gilman, please visit our website at www.bglaw.com or call us toll-free at 888-273-9903.